Welcome back to Find the Outside, the podcast. So glad to have you with us today. Also, I am very excited to announce for the first time ever, I am interviewing Tim Mary as a guest on the podcast. And he, he's, he's already on the other side of the chair. <laughs> no, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. My heart's beating. I've got slight, slightly sweaty palms. I know the kind of questions you ask, you know, you know. Hard hitting, friends. This is what we're about right. to do here. So right. Tim is right. here with his good friend and colleague, um, Francis Kangata. They have started Lahone Bay United, which is a football slash soccer club. I don't know, friends. I can't tell you. People refer to it different ways, but they are doing something in their community that is really exciting. And we wanted to talk with you about it as part of our Changing Community series, because we all know that going out into the world and making change is way different from doing it where you live, right? And so we wanted to have these two in today to talk with us about what is it like um, to start a football club, to start something that is serving your community and kind of find yourself making change in that community and uh and so we want to hear a little bit about that today tim what you got i love it thank you i was just talking to a client of mine who's involved in hockey in canada and and she somewhat gleefully was saying "Ooh, you're actually having to do what you go and help others to do in your own community (laughs) like you know oh we've got you now kind of thing (laughs) anyway yeah i'm really lucky to be joined by francis today um uh francis you know we co-founded the club together we're good friends. We live in the same community. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, in many ways, there's although we approach life very differently, I feel like there's kind of a, a foundation of values that we really share about how we turn up in a community and how we create the conditions for community to thrive and how vehicle can be how soccer can be a vehicle for that. You know, and um, and so it's just delightful to have you on the pod and spending some time with us yeah. and. Uh, what would you like to say to introduce yourself either as the founder of MBU or as a person who lives in our community or as a professional who's doing incredible things in their own right in their career? How would you like, how would you like to introduce yourself? As you said, my, my name's uh, Francis Kangada and I am lucky to be, to be here, to be living in a place where I think a lot of folks would love to live in. Mm. And, and so Simply put, I, I, I'm just uh, an ordinary guy who's been blessed and been lucky enough to come to a place where I can connect with people like you uh, who love their community and are willing to do stuff to make their community better, whatever that mm-hmm. is. And, and, and in as much as it's football or soccer that brings us together, I think there's, there's a lot more than that that, that draws us to to be able to work together and, and see things eye to eye. And so I feel even with the, with the football put aside, we can still find things to connect with. It's just that football is a vehicle for us to be yeah. able to kick, kick the ball around to see what we can do in the community. And so, yeah. yeah. I did. Uh, I did. I did wear a Manchester United hat. I just, oh come on! I just turned it around uh, to show Francis just because I felt like, you know, it was important for him to be on the pod. <laughs> I, I, I would bring a Manchester United hat for him, but he probably wouldn't have worn it. So yeah. the listener what he didn't say is that he's a Liverpool supporter. Tempted to walk away. <laughs> yeah, I was actually just going to say Francis almost got up, listeners. That is that is almost what just happened. Tim alienated our guest. That's what just happened. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I do want to yeah. start with the football club. 
I'm going to ask you a lot about the two of you, but I want to start with the football club because I think, you know, we talk about shared work at the outside and that that's what kind of can bring us together across our differences. That's what can sustain us over time, right? So we can have lots of good feelings about people. We can have lots of ambition in the world, but when we figure out what we're going to do together, what is the work we're going to share? Um, we, we have a vehicle for moving forward. And so I want to hear a little bit from the two of you about this soccer club and and co-founding it together and what was the impetus and how did it start? Tell me a little bit about that story from your perspective, Francis. Uh, <laughs> Tim, Tim is very, he, he loves that I go fast because normally he has to go fast on this one. Uh-huh. Uh, um, sure. <laughs> I mean, from, from my perspective, I think in many ways, when I moved to this place um, over 13 years ago, uh, one huge piece that I brought with me was my love for the game. And, and wherever I'm, I've been, I've, I've lived in many places around the world and wherever I've been, uh, football has always been that connector piece for mm-hmm. me to just get into the community and to know people. And, uh, when I tried to, to play the game here, I found a, a few pieces that are culturally very different mm. from where I was from and, and, and uh, having to pay a lot of money. Ah, to, to, to access just an opportunity to play, mm-hmm. uh, being uh, overly structured. I didn't see any kids around playing mm. uh, actually not just football, but uh, physical, free and unrestricted or unprogrammed play didn't seem to happen in this place at all. And so mm-hmm. I was always curious as to how a society moves from, because I could hear folks in my professional side of things talk about when free play was always there in the community, but now it's no longer there. And I was always curious why that was the case. And so uh, I work in health promotion and my my professional mandate is sort of to keep communities healthy. And so I, I always thought of ways I could combine my passions for soccer and, and, and uh, my professional, I guess, skills as to uh, be, being able to facilitate change in the community in some way, shape or form. And so, um, randomly met this guy, <laughs> Tim. I can't even remember how, how that was happened. It on five, right, was it on like Sunday night soccer? I probably injured you. It <laughs> <laughs> was one of my clumsy tackles. I, you know, I grew up playing rugby, right? You know, so I, like I really had no, like this guy is so good at soccer, football. He would just like humiliate me regularly. <laughs> I and remember so I'm that. Generally running behind him. You know, and then eventually I'd try and tackle him and then he'd, you know, fall over me. Well, roll, it, it, roll around like Neymar. Well, it's probably not know. that uh, because <laughs> I, I w- we wouldn't have uh, kicked it off as, a, as friends if we met there. That's what <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think it was, it, it was something that you and Tews were facilitating, actually. Ah, um, cool. I, yeah, back in the day, I can't mm. remember the details of it. But uh, we also have... We had mutual friends back then, and yeah, so I knew of you. Uh, we just hadn't had a chance to to interact, and I think it's through the soccer that we started interacting. And yeah. and and um, I I've, I've always seen seen you as a, a very outgoing somebody who wants to do something in the community, which I appreciate in many ways. We have opposites mm. from, in, in in all areas of our lives, and. Opposites attract in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And so uh, there are things that I truly appreciate about you that uh, I, th- I think that uh, helped me sort of get 
comfortable in sort of thinking we could do stuff together. And so when that opportunity, when you reached out to sort of say, well, can we put a soccer club together as you're trying mm-hmm. to get Emma opportunities? Yeah. For me, it just, it was a perfect time because I'd always thought about, so how I have two young girls who they're slightly younger than, than, than your daughter, but they, I've always wanted them to enjoy the game and I did try to get them to play the game around here, but it was always programmed mm-hmm. as to be coached. And that's not how I learned the game myself. I learned the game through play. Yeah. Mm. And, and my dad was a soccer player. And so watching him and playing with him once in a while was very helpful. And so my girls loved playing with me and I thought, well, this might be a good opportunity for them to play mm. because trying to get them to those coached opportunities was never something they would gravitate to. And so mm. I think it's just the timing was right. The, the conditions were right at that time. And, um, yeah, we, we, we have our ways of working that seem to work well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think Francis has already touched on like the core things at the DNA of the club. Mm-hmm. Right. And so one is access. Mm-hmm. I think it was unbelievable. It was inconceivable to both of us that people had to pay so much money to play what should be, the most accessible sport on the planet, mm. right? I mean, actually, what do you need? You need a tin can and a piece of concrete mm. to, kick a ball, to kick around on, you know? I mean, you should tell the story of how you made balls when you grew up in Kenya, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take much to be able to play the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. People are paying hundreds of dollars to access this sport, you know, and then be pushed into like highly competitive environments. And all the data says that highly competitive environments actually reduce young people's ability to develop the game, the technical skills early on, because it's too high risk. They, mm. don't, they don't have fun, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so this, so kind of like, you know, free access, we wanted it to feel inclusive. We wanted all people from all walks of life to be able to walk in and play the game, you know? And we wanted it to be rooted around play, you mm. know? Like kids getting together and playing. And like one of our success measures has always been our kids organizing their own games. Ah, you know? uh-huh. Can we create the conditions where there's enough love of the game that kids start organizing their own pickup games on the field, yeah. which has really started happening in the last 18 months. You're seeing nice. kids just turning up and playing, you yeah. know, outside of even our organized program, which is, you know, the, the MBU play, which is the kind of entry level and really is the, uh, the, where we have the highest number of kids. We've got over 250 kids in MBU play this fall. And it's just like free access. They turn up, they do a warmer, they do one drill, and then they play a game for half an hour. Mm. You know what I mean? And there's a coach there, right? Who maybe he might stop, he or she might stop the game and help people think about it. Or, But really the whole emphasis is on play, enjoy. You know, the hashtag is for the love of the game, right? Yeah, and, and I think for me, fundamentally, that's a piece that I'm really drawn to because it resonates with how I learned the game. Mm. Um, I mean, like I've shared with Tim before, I, I didn't get coached formally by a coach until I was in high school. Mm. And by oh, that wow. time, I was, a, I was, from my perspective, a very good player already. And, and so the coaching came about because we needed to play uh, at high school level, you're, you're playing, I guess, a much higher level of play, but to a certain extent, it wasn't necessarily to make me a good player. It was to ensure that I can play within a team structure, so to speak. So I had developed my ways of playing and now coaches were trying to mold me into, into playing in, I guess, professional teams and things like that. And so 
my love for the game was never deemed by an overbearing coach, was never de- deemed by a, a, a parent or an older person who wants to uh, impact or, or imprint their own kind of ideas into me. And I'd always thought that that, that for me was very helpful. Mm. And when I think about the best players, the best soccer players, football players around the world, those who rise to the top, consistently they they come from backgrounds whereby they didn't get any of this of this kind of high level coaching that wow. we always want to push kids to and so i was like i mean i think it's important that we do have high quality coaching but uh-huh. it's more important that we get kids to enjoy the game fast and then we can bring the coaching later and i think we're getting there slowly mm. uh with with what we've set up mm. yeah mm. We could just keep talking back and forth to you, but yeah. it's probably important to let you uh, ask a question because, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, no, I, this is also great. Like, I, so you're answering questions that were in my mind. Um, I love to hear this, that people, that children would experience the love of the game kind of almost before they get, and this is how you do it, right? Um, yeah. And I'm, and that feels so smart. It feels so sustainable. It feels like it goes along with kids development. Um, mm. And so I'm going to ask you a question that might feel kind of counter to that. What do you do with the desire to win? Like this is a game and people win and people lose. And like, how do you hold that with these kids and how do you hold it as, as coaches and co-founders of this club? Yeah. I just had uh, I mean, it's a, it's a question I'm in right now, right? Cause my emphasis and my focus is on, um, enjoying the game and it's actually it's my emphasis is on enjoying the game is on creativity is on self-expression is on the quality of relationships between team members you know and then i've got this kind of like fanciful notion that if all of those things connect we're going to magically start winning you know, mm. but what I found is that that's not actually true because <laughs> I'm achieving all of those things. I'm achieving self-expression. Mm. I'm seeing kids become more confident and more bold. I'm seeing them build lovely relationships with each other. But then I'm like, wait a minute, my teams aren't winning, you know? And so, and, and so it's, it's been a big debate I've been in. Uh, but what I will say, at least for me, is that with the age groups we're working on, it's about emphasis. Mm. right so it's not like like it's a competitive game there's going to be winners and losers in these games the majority of the time and when we're doing mbu develop which is kind of our free access development program so it's like high potential kids who want to they either want to um they want to use the sport to grow themselves or they want to grow their ability to play the sport either way they can go through this 10 week three nights a week program that we do um and and uh, we always say to kids in that, hey, look, you're gonna you're gonna be losing most likely fifty percent of the time. Mm. So you've got to find a way to enjoy this sport even when you're losing, you know. Mm-hmm. And and we'll have conversations about how they do that. But I just had a parent write to me yesterday, and just and and, and who's been part of MBU, you know, pretty consistently over the last three years, and they're trying to decide where they put their child mm. um, for winter soccer. Right. And I was like, okay. Um, and, and, and ultimately what I said was the most important thing for a kid of this age is that, is that they follow their joy. Mm-hmm. Where are they going to most enjoy the game? Because if they're enjoying the game, they're going to want to grow and they're going to want to learn, you know? So like, let the kid be a compass in mm-hmm. terms of, do they want to go to the Whitecaps Academy up in the city? 
Do they really going to enjoy being challenged and pushed in a more professional environment? Or do they want to like play futsal through the winter with a bunch of their mates? You know, mm-hmm. or do they want to be in a competitive team that's playing other teams from around the area? You know, like there's enough opportunities, I think, that if you make them visible, the kids can say, oh, I'm into that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think, I think there is something about the emphasis, I think, in the age groups we're working with, which is largely up to 13, 14 years old at the moment, we are going to expand into older age groups. Mm-hmm. I think the emphasis in those age groups has to be on joy, has to be on, um, uh, and within the context of a competitive game. Mm-hmm. But like the the center of it is joy. Yeah. And, uh, and if you follow your joy, win or lose, you're going to have something worthwhile in your life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but if it's all about winning, then, uh, then you're going to be miserable 50% of the time or more. Right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, on, on that question, I think there's, um, I, I, I've played soccer to win most of my life. Mm. Win whilst enjoying. And, and so I've experienced both. Uh-huh. And, and, and in many ways, especially when there was no coach involved, when it was just us organizing and playing in tournaments and going places, young kids from a slum a group that was having fun like crazy and we won a lot. Mm-hmm. We lost some games, but self-organizing, we won, we, we won a lot. And I, I always enjoyed that. Now we've b- built this club around the concept of play mm-hmm. and enjoying a love for the game for the rest of, 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 of your life, so to speak. And, and that's what we want kids to take on. And even the adults who come and play, that's what we emphasize that that should be the case. We, we are slowly morphing into a situation where we, we recognize that we need a compete kind of platform for, for the kids who go through our programs because they, they, they come from this culture where we are emphasizing play and enjoying the game. And then they're going into environments where right. that, that culture is flipped, where it's compete, 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 right. win, win, win. And they find that challenging. And so to a certain extent, we are not setting them up Mm. for good growth in this world. And so we need to create a platform that actually nurtures them all through. And so we will introduce a compete level. From my perspective, it will be, you can have joy, fun, and still compete because it's possible. Uh-huh. Actually, most most teams that win championships, when you look at how and when they're celebrating, when you look at the team dynamic, there's quite a lot of... So true a lot of fun involved in it. You can sort of see why they won. It's because they were such a strong, cohesive team uh-huh. and they were having fun together. And so that the idea that compete and fun cannot be in the same space and, and that for, for folks to win, uh, you have to be nasty. You have to, hmm. you, you have to give up some of the fun. I, I don't fully buy into that. I think you can build, build those two together. It's more difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can, you can, you can, you can have the host, hostable mentality of push, 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 push this, uh, competing kids to become top level. But I mean, at very young ages, you'll be, you'll be killing them. Right. Yeah. And so I think one of the explorations we are going to have over the next couple of years is now how do we transform what we've done very well in play, mm-hmm. building a club from 15 kids to 250 but now introduce a notion of, oh, you can, you can develop, enjoy the game and also compete. And, and I think we, 
next year we hope we can get there and be able to provide a platform that gives these kids an opportunity to show well play have fun compete and win great uh, the, the proof will be in the pudding we hope that we, yeah. we won't win them all but at least we can put out competitive teams that can work great. yeah i mean we've really had this like player pathway organically emerge right yeah. where we built the club around play there were kids who then wanted to like get better at the game or actually felt their confidence growing as to participate through participating and become becoming physically better at the sport or becoming physically better at the sport. Yeah. And then those kids are going out to compete. So we're suddenly real. So we've now got a player pathway from MBU play to MBU develop to MBU compete, which is, which is really exciting. And then the next piece for us is actually like looking at a coach development pathway. Because mm. what we're also seeing is parents and adults are gravitating towards us mm. because of the culture of the club. Mm. We've got, we've got, we, you're like, oh, I didn't realize that we did a check-in at the last board meeting and we went round and like the number of people on our board, which is 14 people now, you know, a number of those folks actually played really competitively until they were 18 or 19 and then they dropped out of the game. Mm. Right. Because it became so competitive, they stopped enjoying it and then they stopped playing. And then they've come back as adults to coach kids and have been like drawn in by the culture of this club mm. that is rooted in like love, enjoyment, community. Like we build it. We just did a huge community. We served over 300 free meals at our community event. We have, you know, we had 10 year olds wheeling people up in wheelchairs from the local mm. nursing home, like talking nonstop in the ears, like Jace. Then holding the talk nonstop in the ear of this old lady as he wheeled her <laughs> And she just loved it. She just couldn't be, she just thought she couldn't be, mm. it was happening, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, along there with Gregory Barden. And, and so there's just these lovely things that happen, you know? And we're running a basketball tournament at the same time as we're running our programming. You, you know, we, we have the, the mayor comes in and cuts the ribbon to formally, like, it, they, you know, it, it really felt like an, intergenerational community event that took mm-hmm. place, right? Mm-hmm. And, and all because we've renovated our field and we've got 250 kids turning up and going through soccer, you know, and all these parents who now gravitate towards us. And and so and so now we're beginning to train parents how to create the conditions for teams to work together, you know, and to develop kids in groups. So we're also you know, we're, we're building a set of beliefs and mentality among the adults who are creating the conditions for kids, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really exciting part of the program too. And, you know, and, 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 and I think I don't want to get too comparative, but like we haven't struggled to find coaches and we've got over 250 kids. We've got 45, co- you know, parents stepping into coach, mm-hmm. through this form. Mm-hmm. You know, last winter in the winter programs, which are, uh, you know, they're smaller groups. We had, we had something like 230 kids and we had 35 coaches involved, you know, and, and, um, and so we've, so we, we've managed to be an attractor, not just to kids, but to also to, to adults and elders in our community. Well, th- this makes a lot of sense to me, right? Because I heard you both say, right, this is kind of a father and daughter story, Right. Tim started it, right, to support Emma. Francis, you wanted your girls to play with you. Like, this is oh, yeah. a father-daughter story. That has- well, I never thought of it that way, Tuesday. That's lovely. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you've simply done the thing that people want to do, which is scale it, right? You scaled right. what you wanted for your kids to what you want for your community's kids, right? Yeah. And given parents yeah. a vehicle 
to do that for their own children. I mean, what a, what an amazing thing, right? You know, we often think about, oh, how are we going to make big change in the world? How, well, what if like we just started with a father daughter story and that Burkana start anywhere, follow it everywhere feels like what you all have done. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. As you say, as you put it that way, it, uh, it tugs. It tugs. It's, yeah, it's quite touching, yeah, isn't it? it? I can feel it. it. I really feel it. It tugs on my heart that. in many different ways. I, never, never, some of it never intentionally. I mean, I, uh, I, from my perspective, it's just uh, an extension of what I've done in my life is that if there's a need and there's a gap and I can do something about it, I will try and do that. Uh, and I think, um, this opportunity brought, I guess, two people who had some ideas that, uh, we wanted to explore and we still have lots of ideas. I have to tell Tim all the time, just <laughs> calm down and oh, yeah. consolidate, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Francis. Um, I get it. <laughs> but, but it's, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's touching to sort of really get the sense as, as you put it that way, my, my big motivation is that girls in particular, cause I have girls mm-hmm. have an opportunity to play the game and not just my girls. I, I have, I have lots of great, one of the things that I enjoy about this is I have great relationships with, uh, girls who are in my daughter's age groups mm-hmm. that if they see me out on the streets, they will say hi, very excited. Aww. And I'll also do the same. And, and, and I grew up in a community that was poor, but very close, close knit in that way, in mm-hmm. the sense that I knew there were people, adults around my community watching over me. And mm-hmm. so feel safe. there was a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew people could speak into my life in a positive way because they, they would, um, uh, I, I tell my daughters that in, in as much as I was playing, uh, I guess, uh, a boy's game, adults would come and watch us mm. and encourage us. And, and, wow. and it was always nice to have fans on the side and they would see you out on the streets and tell how you. Many, how many people would come out to watch games on uh, Saturday for you? It, it depends. On tournaments, you probably could get something like 2,000. Oh, oh. Oh. I just want just to be saying, oh, people used to come out. Yeah, and watch. no. I know that story, right? <laughs> and how old were you then when 2,000 people coming out? Uh, 10, 12. Oh, yeah. my so goodness. You've got 10 to 12 people, and people are just turning up spontaneously wow. in the community he grew up onto the local pitch to watch these young lads play, you know? Amazing. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, I mean, it was fun. Uh, it was fun after a game, walking home and people saying, oh, you guys played great. Oh, <laughs> you guys need to play better next time. Don't lose. <laughs> Just to get, I guess, encouragement uh-huh. or, or a push like that. And I, and I feel that builds community. Mm-hmm. There was a sense of, there was a sense of uh, people being in, in something together that you can't get from any other walks of life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think even with this club, one of the things that I'm, I'm proud of is that we've done that. It, it's great to see a few hundred folks come out to a community event here yeah. uh, in, a, in a town that when we moved here was considered a retirement village to a certain extent. Mm. We never used to see any anybody pushing uh, a, a stroller down the streets. Nowadays, it, in, in a day, you'll see many. Mm. There's lots of families who've moved to this area because it's getting to be vibrant. We, we didn't cause that, but at least we are... Contributing. Uh, yes, contributing to mm-hmm. that in many ways. And so, yeah, that's kind of nice to see. And m- my hope is that, yes, 
it's a it's a it's a, a dad a daughter kind of thing that started it off but that we can nurture other dads other other mm-hmm. families uh and and moms too to sort of carry on the legacy you know one of the things that I keep talking to Tim about is we have to find ways of to let go some of the stuff we do so that other voices can come in which is difficult for both of us mm. Mm. right tis yeah yeah tis yeah 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 no the letting and it's and it's good i'm learning that you know i feel like a lot of what i'm learning now is how to distribute and pass things up because the club's grown so big yeah. mm-hmm. you know when it when it was like the first few years like it, i could just do it i could do the news i could just do it all you know but now it's grown so big and the ideas become increasingly audacious mm-hmm. from the board you know and and so it, it's it's exciting you know and, and, and you know what I like as well is like the folks who live around the field, you know, they've all, every single person who lives around the field, apart from one, at some point has come up to me, right, and said, oh, we love the field. Like to, to, to wake up on a Saturday and hear all the kids shouting out there or hear the people cheering for a game or to look out, you know, like, like God sits on his deck now and sit and watch games. Mm-hmm. Having a cup of tea, you know, and it'd be like, oh, is there a game on today as I'm walking by? And so there's this sense of like the community is really bought into it. And and like the club exists because the community funds it. Say more. The core core operations of the club come from local businesses and individuals. Yeah. Right. Like the actual cost of all the MBU play programming, which is the free access play brace programming for us to be able to run that. It's been a marker for us that the community funds it. We don't get it from government. We don't get it from foundations. Like this has to be something that the community wants to support. Mm-hmm. And and if they aren't willing to kind of put the money in, and it's not a lot of money, right? Really, in terms of like the amount of kids we're serving. But if the community can't support that element of the program, the core operations, um, then uh, either we're not communicating what we're doing properly, you know, or we're not meeting a community need and we need to go back and really revisit what we're doing. And so it's been a key feedback mechanism for mm-hmm. us. Is, you know, can we secure the wealth from within the community to run the core operations? Now we'll go raise money to like, you know, redo the field. We raised, you know, lots of money for that or redo the basketball court. We did that or put an equipment loan program. We're in the middle of doing that, you know, so we're building a shared equipment loan program. Um, uh, so we're not afraid to go raise money to do facilities improvements or to, um, you know, to put out the competitive teams is another thing we've raised money for, you know, but we're not, um, uh, exterior to our community, but, but, but the core operations, those 250 kids doing MBU play, we feel like that's got to be funded from within the community. And that's a key feedback mechanism. So, so talk to me about that. Talk to me about what being community funded allows you to do, what it allow, what it makes possible and what it helps you not do because you're community funded. So there's kind of that piece around why is that important? What does it allow you to do? And then I want to, I actually just want to hear you name both the impact you see your, the, the club having, and you're, you said we're, we're starting to, be audacious. And I want to hear your hoped for impact. Like, I just want to hear, two, I know there are two different questions. But. The purpose of the club, mm-hmm. right, is as many people as possible enjoying the benefits of soccer. Mm. Right. So we run programming from people aged four to 104. We're now kind of 
running a walking soccer program in partnership with the local one of the local municipalities wonderful right? and and so like and so but then also you know parents involved community members involved like as many people enjoying the benefits of soccer right that's that's right at the heart of what we're doing so what we get to do when we're community funded mm-hmm. is what the community wants uh, not what the funder wants, not what the government wants, right? Mm-hmm. Not what the individual wealthy person who's put all the money in wants. Mm-hmm. We actually get to do what the community wants. And we're not dependent on any single funder either within mm. the community. Like the amounts aren't such that we're, if one funder pulled out, we couldn't figure out a way to cover it currently. Not that I'm encouraging any of the funders who are listening <laughs> to pull out the operations of the club. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we've got, we've got a sustainable model at the heart. Uh-huh. Yeah, at the heart. And, and that allows us to really respond to community need, right? And not, not be driven by anything Give else. me an example. Like what, what are you doing that you might not do if you weren't community funded? Well, I don't think we'd be offering free programming to anybody who wanted to come into our community who ever wanted to play soccer for a start. And, and that's one of the things that I, I realized we did not really articulate what exactly we as a club are and why and what, why we're doing what you're doing. So the, the big idea for us is to ensure that folks can play the game barrier free ah. and, 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 and barriers could be, I mean, they quite a multitude of barriers. One of them is f- financing, uh, obviously one of them, the, the other could be just identity, who they are, mm. not feeling, feeling like they belong anyways. Mm-hmm. Another barrier could be just being able to get where the, the programs are at. So trying to figure out is transportation an issue? Right. Do they have the right equipment to play? Most of the time we will give a list of equipment, but if a kid comes and they, they, can, they can pay bare feet, I will... I can accept that. We can find ways to do that. Uh, but find ways that they can play without harming themselves. And so there, there's we have, been, we have a collection. I mean, yeah. I, I have kids in the lead up to programming. We let people know that we have kit. Yeah. And like I have kids coming into the center, into my office. They knock on the door. Jen tells me I go down to the gym and I sort them out with cleats. I sort them out mm-hmm. socks. I sort them out shin pads. I've got spare shirts. Yeah. Like it's important to us that when the kids step out on the field, like they all look Equal. Yeah. Mm, mm. Actually, they all arrive equal, you know, so that, so none of the fundraising or the support of individuals happens in an overt way. Uh, yeah. It happens in a relational way. We, we meet with the families and we know who needs support and we just do that. There's no fanfare around it. It just happens. Yeah. And then those families get looked after and then the kids turn up just like every other kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tim has talked about what what the fund does. Now, in terms of impact, I think we've done every 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 session that we carry out, we do uh, post post session evaluations. And for me, one of the one of the biggest impact is sense of belonging. Ah, uh, wow! That parents and and kids actually say, "I feel I belong now." You have folks who just moved into mm. the area did not, did not have a way in which they could connect. They, they come and join the club. They bring the kids to the club. And by the end of 10 sessions or 12 sessions, they actually feel like they belong. And, and why mm. that is very important for me is I, when I moved here, it took me more than six years to actually feel a sense of belonging. Wow. And, and, and to a certain extent that can be traumatizing yes. when you, when you've come, when you've come from afar. And, and so I, the fact that we can, allow and help families to just rapidly 
get absorbed into the community. Mm-hmm. We, we have one, one of our volunteers actually came to an adult game and, 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 and joined. And, and now he, he, he runs a lot of our stuff. And he was yeah. like, he was like, this, this, this just coming to play and joining this club gave me a sense of belonging. Like I couldn't have got, wow. got anywhere else. And, and he's, he's a, a person who identifies uh, as I guess, a, as a, uh, a racial minority to a certain extent. So for me as a black person, that's pretty important Yeah. in that there, there's various ways we, we might want our society to be structured so that those things can happen quickly. And we, we as a club are actually impacting that in right. a tangible way. Yeah. And so rather than wait for politicians to come up uh-huh. with programs and things that can help community, community is actually doing something that uh, from my perspective ma- manages to, to achieve the, I guess a goal that we all want in society in a much smoother way, mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. In a province that has said we want to double our population by 2060. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the kind of government mandate, wherever you, whether you agree it or not, or not like our little club, I truly believe has become an attraction and retention strategy for people. to. Wow. Wow absolutely believe that yeah. I absolutely believe that and and not just the culture of the club but the facilities we've built yeah. you know that actually you can revitalize an area mm. of a town you know through community development not through economic development yeah mm-hmm. through community development you know and i just think i think that's a remarkable thing but i, I just want to you know the evaluations that we do after every program and this has been true since founding the first thing people identify is belonging Wow. Feeling part of the, wow. the second thing they identify is confidence, mm. right? The kids become more confident through participating, right? Which, and, and that translates as literally, this is a quote from an evaluation because I love it so much is when my kids started soccer, they didn't even participate in the first two sessions. They just sat on the sideline and watched, which is why I always encourage you don't have to play. Just watch uh-huh. and every session. I'm just going to check if you want to play. Uh-huh. Okay? And, then they, and, and then started playing you know, hadn't put, hadn't done any extracurricular stuff before. And then by the end of soccer had signed up to music and theater as well. Mm. And, and like, like, that's real. That's like a, that's mm-hmm. like a kid, like moving from a place of like, I don't want to participate in anything to like participating in soccer. And then that opening up to the door to then participate in other places in their world and their lives because mm-hmm. of the culture we built. So, yeah. so it's like belonging, it's confidence. And then the third thing they identify as an outcome is they got better at soccer. Mm. So the skills are built. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. And so literally belonging, confidence, soccer consistently in the five years we've been running, yeah. that's the feedback we get in the evaluation. And, and we've learned to see that as, um, uh, it's almost a better benchmark now. Mm-hmm. Is that, are we still doing that? Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and another very, from my perspective, so one, one of the other roles I have in the communities and the deputy mayor of the town. Oh, okay. And part of the reason why I went into this, something that I would never have done, uh, actually had to do with, uh, we've been talking about the field. There's a community field, um, that we have, we've, we've raised a lot of money to, to renovate it and, and upgrade it into what it is now. But that field had been designated as surplus land by our town okay. for a while. And there had been lots of campaigns to actually try and protect it. And 
they were successful in some ways because it was never sold, but it was always sup- surplus land that the town could sell. Uh-huh. But through through the use by our club and the fact that we've uh, there's lots of money that's been invested through our fundraising to to uh, to upgrade it. Now it's almost secured and protected as a protected recreational area mm. by the town, which will hopefully happen in perpetuity and will be captured in the land land use bylaws and the municipal planning strategy that we're about to to get through. And for me, I think in many ways that's a huge impact that probably we might not see it as as one, but it, it means yeah. that generations to come will actually have a field that's actually protected and right. secured. Uh, and then, I mean, those things happen on paper and in, 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 in the boardrooms and things like that, but it's a community that's actually got us there because if the community wasn't behind us, the political will never have got to where it is now. Mm. Absolutely. Right. So, so that's, that's another impact that I think the club has, uh, can, can take pride in doing and, uh-huh. and, and our volunteers just being a voice when they, when they were being asked to, to be a voice. Yeah, it truly has built in response to need. It's been like one step at a time, what's the next need? One step at a time, what's the next? Let's start anywhere, follow it everywhere, choose. Mm-hmm. I think that's been a real kind of like operating principle behind the club. But I do want to point out, I mean, I think one of the benefits of one of the benefits of our balance, <laughs> you know, is the kind of th- enthusiasm and drive to the future that I will bring. I've just got, I'm, I'm just like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm just like, harnessing and attracting people to what we're doing yeah. but i think you're also like constantly attaching strategies uh, uh-huh. you're constantly looking at how the systems function around us and thinking about how we best navigate those um in such a way that we can really forward the core mission of the club in terms of serving kids building community yeah. you know yeah. and uh and i think that i think that's a key piece there's a lot of strategy here choose like mm-hmm. a lot of the systems whether it's the soccer systems or the municipal systems or the uh land use structures you know they aren't necessarily in favor of what we're doing like right a free, club, a free club undermines sorry doesn't undermine deeply disrupts the current model of how the sport is delivered in Nova mm-hmm. Scotia. And that's not welcomed yeah. by everybody. Well, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like the revitalization of the field from surplus land isn't welcomed by everybody because some people want to stick condominiums on it because I think that's a far better use. Right. Mm, you know, right. you know, we have a very strong different opinion to that. Right. But um, so, so it's, it's, it, there's a lot of strategy in here. There's a lot of nuance underneath this stuff. There's a lot of kind of conversations between us around well, how do we actually maneuver our way through these systems to get what we know in our hearts is the right thing within the community? Uh-huh. Uh, well, I just want, well, I want to go there because you, you actually went to, I was thinking, oh my goodness, you all are talking about working at such different levels of scale, right? You're talking about the individual kid who has more confidence, has more skilled. You're talking about families feeling like they belong. So relationships are being built. You're talking about impacting the way that land is used, which, you know, like that's, that's another scale. We're talking, I'm assuming you are very much impacting how soccer is being played outside of your little community. You can't help what we know about systems changes. You can't help but have some impact or at least disruption, whatever that is. Right. Yeah. So just noticing the different levels of scale you're working at and the complexity of that. 
Yeah. I wanted to go back to what you just said and actually where you started. You both said different approaches, different, you know, we're really different kinds of people. And my experience is in complexity. You actually need real difference, right? You actually, you know, Tim and I say all the time, you need to be different from each other to move anything forward. And so I'd love to hear mm. you all talk about the ways that you're different, the ways that like different in conflict and different in complement. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and herein lies something interesting in, in, in the sense that there's, <laughs> there's something that you twos have, have, uh, I guess, impacted Tim with around, uh, I can't remember how you actually put it, uh, the, the necessary amount of structure. Yeah. The minimum amount of order. A minimum amount of order to do what? Uh, to kind of advance whatever you want to do yeah. meaningfully and productively. Yeah. So, so Tim is a big idea kind of person. Yep. He's like, yeah, we will build this rocket ship and mm-hmm. let's just do it. And I'm a structure process kind of person mm-hmm. in some ways. And so when, when, when those combine in, in, in many ways, I find that we always most of the time get to a middle ground where some of the big thinking is taking still taking place but some structure is put in place to allow it to to grow mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a manageable way no we don't achieve that fully all the time but i think the big piece for us i find i don't know how you find it but i find it's conversations mm. it's having many many conversations and sometimes we will think we'll, we've had a conversation about something and when tim actually goes to do it i'm like ah oh, not really <laughs> we need to have another round this literally happened this morning just to be clear yeah 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 i'm like i'm like i, I texted him and i'm like am i oversharing with somebody again because he's always like stop getting ahead we just designed that don't tell everybody about it yet Okay, just like slow down, Tim Mary. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I responded to someone the other day and like told them everything Francis and I had been planning because I wanted them to get on board. And he's kind of like, dude, you know, how's it going over there? Do you know this person well? Uh-huh. Can you contain the message you just put out? You know, okay, okay, I'm oversharing again. Well, and and that's from from my perspective, that's the beauty of relationships in the sense that. Um, I, I need to appreciate the kind of person he is and not get mad about that mm-hmm. and just know that I can communicate in a way that he'll understand what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And he can also push back and sort of say, well, you, you're being a little bit too controlling about this or whatever he's, the, he's he has words that he'll use yeah. that'll, t- that'll tell me, well, I need to let go. And so there's, I think those many conversations have been helpful for us over, over, over the years to, to get to a place where we, we know we've had a robust enough conversation that he knows what his peace can be and mm-hmm. I know what my peace can be. But also to a certain extent, giving each other leeway to be able to influence and mm-hmm. do things mm-hmm. with the skill sets we have. And so mm-hmm. I, I recognize the skill sets he brings to the table and I will try, I'll do my best not to meddle into that. And he does, I hope, I can see sometimes he recognizes. Was that like a little side swipe? I felt that was a little side. Look at that. You see that? Did you, everyone get that? I have to slide that in. You do. You know, yeah, totally. yeah. I get it. Yeah. So, so, so I think those iterations of conversations have been really helpful for us. And I, I think our board actually gets a, a lot of kick from when we have board meetings and there's pushback. He, he, he says something that I'm, I'm against to a certain extent and, and vice versa. And I think they, we, we thrive because they can see 
the leadership uh-huh. of this group allows for that. Great. And so right. I, I feel that nobody's intimidated that they cannot put their point across. I mean, sometimes they will because team is loud and noisy, but yeah, it's true. Yeah. They, 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 they do get, I hope they do get to feel that they're allowed to, to do what they can do and different voices can come to the table. Yeah. I feel our ability to disagree. Yeah. Very publicly often, yeah. <laughs> right? Without it becoming aggressive, yeah. right. without it becoming confrontational, yeah. but our ability to just like disagree yeah. and then be in conversation with each other until we reach just enough resolution to take the next step, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that happens in board meetings, it happens in executive meetings, it happens when we're walking down the road. Like, <laughs> like it's, you know, it's, it's actually part of our makeup, isn't it? Yeah. Our friendship, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, I think it does give a lot of permission, you know, and I think we see that because people take ownership of the club. Yeah. You know, we, we've got people taking ownership of elements of the club now that Francis and I, we just give advice to, mm-hmm. you know, and then, they're, and they're running with it, you know, and that includes like coaching some of the really large programs that includes the voice on social media. That includes writing funding proposals. That includes, we just had someone do, do an interview for the local newspaper and I wasn't anywhere near it, <laughs> Juliet, you know? Um, and so I think, I, I do think, I do think that permission giving is part of what allows for the shared ownership the club yeah. has built, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think we can both be forceful characters in our own way. Yes. I think, yeah. you know, yeah. I think, I think we're both, we're both quite, we both could be intimidating if the other one wasn't there. N- not could be. We are intimidating. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of folks would say they find it difficult to get a word in when we are fully in our group. Uh-huh. But, but I also hope and feel that we, we are aware of that. And sometimes we, we allow and step back and allow folks to actually chime in and, 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 and come to the fore. I, I find that I sometimes I have to encourage folks to sort of say, well, you have that opinion. Can you bring it to the table so that we can all hear it and move on with, yeah. with, with the ideas that you have? Because I think if we don't do that, we will all get burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you all, and we're going to wrap up here in a few, in just a few minutes, I promise. But I wanted to ask you all, it feels like we've talked so much about how, you know, community funding has been helpful, how community support, how you've rallied that, how you're making change in the community. And sometimes, you know, Tim and I, Francis, were on a board. The tagline was whatever the question community is the answer. And I loved that. And sometimes it gets a little challenging, right? Like sometimes there's a reason we go out and make change in the world versus kind of staying in our community and making change. And I'm curious, where are the edges of what you're learning about being in community? Where can it get tough? Not to, not to, not to be a downer, but to let people know who are thinking about making change in their community, how you all navigate some of the tough aspects of community when, you know, you're going to see that person the next day and the next day. And your kids are going to graduate together. And so can you talk to me a little bit around how you kind of navigate some of that edginess or challenge of making change in community? I mean, I've got a perspective on that and I'd actually love to hear, I think, I don't know whether yours is going to be different. I'm really interested, Mm -hmm. but I think I actually choose, I think a lot of, um, a lot of the strength, um, uh, of the club is born out of the relationships within the community that then allow us to deal with a lot of the systemic 
kind of uh, self-preservation of old ways. Mm. You know what I mean? And so like, there's definitely people I walk past on the street who've like consistent, like literally live five houses down from me Mm -hmm. who have voted against us every single time there's been a vote. Mm. Wow. Wow. It's just against what we do. You know, yeah. and um, and so that's just and and but like you know we I've actually had that conversation, uh-huh. you know, and and uh, and it's like well we're just going to agree to disagree, mm-hmm. you know, and like, we're, we're polite on the street but we know we both disagree. Uh huh. I was down the coffee shop the other day and someone was telling me that Mahone Bay United was their idea and they wanted a free T-shirt. You know, I was like, well, I only hand out free T-shirts to people who've earned them. You know, <laughs> so I was like, so when you do something beyond the club. Other than have a good idea, yeah, I'll give you a t-shirt. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and so like there's things like that that happen all the time within the community. Mm-hmm. But I would say, in general, the grassroots in community narrative is incredibly positive. Okay. Waiting for Francis outside the door before coming in here, I got stopped by a uh, an elderly lady in the community who just wanted to talk to me about how excited she was by the revitalization of the field. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And uh, how much she is enjoying seeing young people out there, you know, every day of the week playing and enjoying the field. And uh, and she just wouldn't stop talking to me about it. And I think in general, the narrative is really pop- mm. really um, positive. And that that is what enables me to deal with the systemic barriers we hit when we engage with the more formal system, whether uh-huh. that be at a kind of local district level or at a uh, kind of pro- provincial level or at a national level in terms of how soccer is structured and organized because we're, we're very countercultural in a lot of ways uh-huh. and therefore it can often feel like we're walking into barriers and we've had real struggles around securing insurance and we've had real struggles around being able to position ourselves as free uh-huh. but still wanting to put in competitive teams and and so a lot of that you know there's things we have to navigate that I think can be quite energy sucking, but I feel they're actually sustained by what happens mm. within the community day to day. I don't know how you think about it. What's your, yeah, you've been on town council, so you might have a really different <laughs> feel for that. Yeah. I mean, I have to be very careful as to what I say with that in the sense that I, one of the things that I know uh, that I'm learning is that, um, it's important for, to be able to hold but there's this one that somebody mentioned to me equanimity equanimity yeah, yeah. And, and and be able to 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 hold both sides of a thing mm-hmm. the positives and the negatives i think is pretty pretty important and and one of the things that i i guess i've learned with the club and how others perceive it is that there will be those who will perceive it as a positive and there will be those who will perceive it as a, as a drain mm-hmm. from, from what, whatever it is that they think about, about us. And, and there's nothing literally wrong with their thoughts. It's just that they don't have the perception that I've got. Right. Right. And so to an extent, I take that as a, if I'm able to an opportunity to be able to give them sort of a taste of what, my perception of what the club is and can be. And if I don't have that opportunity, then I'm hoping that what we are doing will speak volumes mm. and it has. So for, for example, I know when, when I joined council, actually team facilitated a, a debate amongst the folks who are, who are running for council. And if I remember that debate properly, the, the, uh, cause there's the, the issue of supporting the club and supporting the, the soccer field was part of the questions and right and it wasn't unanimous support 
back then, okay, three years ago, from the folks who were running. Right now, there's almost unanimous mm. support. It's only maybe one or two folks who yeah. are on the other side. And and for me, it has been sort of a progressive bringing those folks to see what uh, investing in a club, investing in a, in a in a small soccer field might do for the community. And this, they've started to see that. And my, so if we can take, if we can take the positives from all of that, then the negatives won't matter. Mm-hmm. They, the negatives can be there and people can still, can still air, uh, not necessarily very helpful thoughts, but the overwhelming positives will just da- drown that right. out. And so we, I, I think we've, We've not done it very strategically, but I think we've been consistently not feeding the negatives. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. And and focusing on the positives. I mean, the other day somebody had posted on Facebook, I think, uh, about being being in disagreement about uh, us using corner flags that show acceptance to the LGBTQ uh, community. Uh-huh. And and there was debate amongst board members: should we respond to this? Somebody has to, and. Uh, I think some of us are like, no, don't feed that. Yeah. We don't need that. Yeah. We, we don't need to engage in that kind of narrative. We're an accepting community. We're an open community. We want every, every folk to feel welcome. And if that's something we, we need to do, let's focus on that's that great. positive side rather than uh, troll on, on, on social media who wants to pull things down. And so I think us focusing on the positives has been very, very helpful. And I think we've never dwelt on, we've received some, comments that have not been really helpful, but we've never dwelt on that. And I think that's not, not strategic, but I think it's a, it's a good positive approach to yeah. building community. I think, and I think it has been somewhat strategic, you know, like yeah. I think we have made a choice again and choice, again and yeah. again yeah. to focus on what is where there's energy, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, where there's uplift, where there's joy, you know, like we've done, like that's the emphasis of the club. And, and, uh, and I think it stands in stark contrast to how a lot of, other things are happening mm-hmm. where there's a lot of focus on the negative and that is meant to drive the change is the problem. Mm-hmm. And we're not focusing on that. We're focusing on this amazing thing that's happening. And originally it was 15 amazing things that were happening with 15 kids and two coaches. And now we're 250 kids and 45 coaches, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, I think that, I think, I think that's been a huge part of the culture of the club. I really do. But I just, I just want to, I just want to say like, cause France, you know, I think there is strategy underneath it. Mm. And and the more you've got your brain into it, the more strategic we've become mm. in terms of navigating systems that we know aren't going to be welcoming of our approach. Now, I'm not going to sit here and like list them out because like <laughs> you'd be really mad at me. But like, you know, there, there are decisions we're making and structures we're using and approaches we're taking and people we're talking to and decisions we're making about who we talk to, when, at what time, about what, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, because we know we're going to get pushback, you know? And so the timing around all of that I think, um, and, and the decision-making and planning around all of that, I think it's critical to our success. I think, you know, I think, I think we've done a very deliberate job of protecting the pure goodness at the heart of this club. Mm. Oh, I love I really that. do. I think we have fought hard to protect the purity and the goodness in the DNA of what we're doing here. It's free soccer for kids. Really? You're going to complain about that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, 
what? Yeah. You know, it's free soccer for kids and we're not going to turn anybody away. Yeah. Yeah. Really? That's a bad thing. I just love, you know? and like, and we just keep going back and we protect the purity of it. Mm-hmm. You know, some, and some people get really mad at us cause it's free. I bet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And not just cause it's free. Cause we say it's free. Oh, cause we say it's free. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's mm. what they get mad about a lot. Yeah. I've, I've started calling it free access now <laughs> to try and mitigate that grumpiness. Yeah. It's not free. People people sponsor it. Yeah, but it's free at the point of sale. Yeah. yeah. So it's free access. Oh, that's- and, and, and to be honest, if, you, if you're being very literal and grammatical, it's not free because there is a lot of resources behind that. What what I always want to think about is that we are removing all, ba- all barriers. Barrier free. Yeah. Oh, that's and great. Then so, for, for us, that's the fo- should be the focus, right? and and maybe um, people might say, "Well, you you you're creating a model that's not sustainable." That's what we're here to prove that it is sustainable. That we can we can refocus our resources right. to to what's meaningful in society, uh, rather than think that we uh, we have to for the for the things that are important to us. We, we, we have to create structures that are, I don't know, capitalist or yeah. uh, focused on extraction rather than building. Uh, and, and, um, hopefully as we, as we go along, we can create something that's sustainable that can be built on for generations to come. And I think for the little time we've been around, we've shown that it's doable. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is more sustainable than getting the land available? you know, for, for in perpetuity, like that, that these are the things you're doing to make it sustainable. I want soccer to be free in perpetuity, yeah. like audacity. Uh-huh. I want soccer free forever in my home bay for kids under the age of 18 forever. Yeah. You know, and that, that's what I want. Beautiful. You know, and, and I'm like, so how do we do that? Well, let's get an endowment of $4 million somehow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that will generate everything we need indefinitely. Never touch the core. Yeah. Never touch the capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or there needs to be an income generating activity, right, at the core of the club that then generates the wealth. But like, like free soccer forever. That's the that's the bottom line. Mm. Like free soccer forever yeah. for kids in Mountain Bay, yeah. right, in the surrounding area. And I think that's the, that's the ultimate. That's what we're shooting for, right? There, sh- there shouldn't be a cost attached to playing this game. There shouldn't be a cost attached to playing any game. Mm. Any game. Mm-hmm. We, we've just we've just accepted models and systems that have been set up uh, through, as I would say, maybe happenstance. And I, I always say that I, I came from a, a community and a society where there was very little, but there were no barriers to to a certain extent to do some of the things I wanted to do. Mm. Uh, because if if the formal system wasn't providing, we, we would find in ingenious ways of being able to do stuff. I, I always joke and tell my kids, I, we, I, ne- I never got bought for toys because my parents couldn't afford to do that, but we made our own toys. Mm. Mm-hmm. I had a car I could pull around. As a boy, you, you want a car, right? So we used to make cars out of tin, uh-huh. uh, 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 scrap metal, and I would pull that around and run with it, and that, that was fun. Uh, we would use whatever materials we had on the side. Tim was talking about how we, what, what kind of balls we used to have. We used to make our balls out of plastic paper bags. 
and they would they would build our skill levels to whatever they are now. Amazing. I'm not so lousy in the game. He's, one of, the, he's <laughs> one of the best players around here. Don't let him be modest. He's, he's absolutely fantastic footballer, this fellow. This is this um, is such a rich conversation, you two. We we need to be kind of wrapping it up, and I wanted to wrap up by asking you both. Um, Sometimes we ask, like, what is something you're carrying in your back pocket? You know, a quote or a song lyric or something you heard from your kids. But I'd actually really love to hear each of you say something you say, either in the context of coaching, sharing about the club, or just to yourself about the club, or something you hear related to the club that kind of keeps you going, right? Or keeps other people going. Do you all, would, I know this, I'm kind of springing this on you both, but something you say or you hear related to this club that keeps you going. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I really think it's what I wrote to this parent who was asking me about what the, what's, the, what's the development opportunities for their kid. Mm-hmm. You know, really talented little footballer too. Mm. 11 years old, great footballer. And, uh, and, you know, parents really just reaching out to us to say, what, what's the best place for him to develop mm-hmm. now, you know? And my answer was like, follow his joy. Great. Great. Follow his joy. And if his joy is like highly competitive, I can, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, if his joy is, uh, you know, our winter futsal league, or if his joy is playing on a competitive team, you know, with SSU or his joy is kicking around with his dad in the garage, mm-hmm. do it every single night. Kick around with your dad in the garage, mm-hmm. you know. Don't bother spending the money on anything. Else. Don't go to the white caps if that's what you love, you know. So I think I, I really think it's about like it's like follow your joy, mm. follow your joy, and know that out of that joy, a hunger and a thirst for learning will arise, you know. And I think that's, I think that's that's the that's the thing I keep saying, mm-hmm. certainly with the age groups we're working with now. I think that's it. What about you, Echo? I, I don't think it's any different. Follow your joy. And a love for the game. Mm. Um, it, it's not even about skill level. It's not even about uh, how good or how poor you are. There, there, there will be folks who will reach out and and, and ask about the adult soccer mm-hmm. soccer sessions that we have, and and they will be like, "But I have not played for X number of years, and I was, I'm not very good at, at this." And I, I would always say, "Well, we, we don't even care about that. Mm. Just show up." Mm-hmm. I met, met somebody from who's moved here from Montreal and I've invited them to come and they're like, well, I used to play 10 years ago, but I haven't played for very long. And I was like, no, just show up. Mm. You'll find folks who are probably better than you. You'll find folks who are not as good as you. And hopefully you will fit in somewhere mm. as long as you're having fun, we'll have you. And, and, and for me, it's always very interesting to see folks who didn't even think they were very good coming in and, expressing themselves and enjoying themselves and coming back. I mean, we, we, we've grown from playing in a gym, maybe yeah. 12, 10 to 12 folks. Yeah. And now we have 22 or 23. Every single every, week. Every mm-hmm. single week. There are days where in the winter you'd have 26 in a very small gym and you have to split them into two different gyms or two wow. different gyms and two, two different times. And so there's. Wait, we're ages 17 to 75. Yeah. Like wow. Like we've got, I mean, Jimmy, who's a Scottish lad, who's <laughs> yeah. 75, he's a specimen. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Like this man, I mean, he is, I don't know. He's mm-hmm. just, I don't even, he's incredible. He's, yeah. one, he's one of the best players on the pitch, pitch and he's 75 years mm-hmm. old. He's just always in the right place at the right time. But it's an incredible range of ages and people and cultures and backgrounds, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's literally like that Sunday game looks to me like how I want the community to look. Ah, uh, yeah. 
and 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 it's you know? for for a love of the game we we struggled with uh, a little bit with the idea that could because when you're using the gyms you need to rent them out mm-hmm. and we struggled with the idea that will make it free i remember mm. when we were having that conversation and now it's free mm. and uh, the gym gets paid for yeah it's paid for by donation by donation Wonderful. and then before players. and then before you used to think well if we don't charge people this will not be able to cover it but it's covering itself yeah nice. just by changing one small thing and so people love the game mm. they they want the game played and they facilitate it however yeah. it works mm. yeah. well thank you both so much it's been great to you know friends i get to hear about the soccer club all the time obnoxious team i'm not obnoxious <laughs> humble humble excited team uh, yeah well one of those words is right and um so uh but we wanted our listeners to hear about this soccer club, although he does bring it in quite a bit into the podcast. But we wanted to hear like directly yeah. from you to what's happening and what's going on and what's possible. It's born out of both your friendship and your care for your children in the community. And so just want to thank you both for being here. And Tim, I hope the hot seat wasn't too hot. And Francis, thank you so, so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Such a joy to share the space with you guys. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you, listeners. Uh, This is it for our podcast today. We will see you in two weeks. Take care.